Not since Midnight Run has Mr. De Niro been afforded such a perfect opportunity to flex his comedic muscles. Joe Lozito, a big picture, big sound, talking about our old movie this week, which is Analyze This. This is the comedy special edition here of Cinephile, as you've got two comedic legends here on the podcast. Our new movie is Sweetwater. That opens in theaters next Friday, April 14th. And Jeremy Piven, who's a co-star in it, is here to join us. Yes, that Jeremy Piven, three-time Emmy Award winner and Golden Globe Award winner for Entourage. And also our wild card is Jim Belushi. And man, this guy's a wild card. He's got a terrific show on Discovery. It's called Growing Belushi, all about his pot farm. So Piven, Belushi, it's all about comedy here on Cinephile. And this is the biggest month ever, Chris, when it comes to stars on the podcast. I mentioned Piven. I mentioned Belushi. Next week, Michael Shannon, two-time Academy Award nominee, a massive get for us. He's tremendous. Already that one's in the can. And the week after that, Ray Romano, which you hooked up, your family member related to your wife. Ray Romano's here reporting his new movie. And potentially we have the director of Big George Foreman, potentially Giovanni Ribisi, potentially a director of the new Little Richard documentary, potentially a director of the Yogi Bear movie. I mean, the stars are coming out for Cinephile. A lot of months, Jim Belushi and Jeremy Piven would be the headliners, yes. and they're like they're like the fifth line of this music <laughs> festival that is the that, that is cinephile this month. It's massive news, man. It's great. We appreciate all the support everyone's giving us uh, here at Metal Arc. Of course, our great talent bookers, Laura Brandt and company. Uh, please go to Apple Podcasts, subscribe, rate, and review. I also have big news, which is I'm in a movie this month. What? I, I, I shot it uh, in late February, and then I said, "Is Wait. it like one of these things where there's like a scene in a movie where it's like an MLB Network thing, and it's like <sighs> yeah. Adnan's talking about some fictional scene no. on MLB Network?" It, it, it was me and my buddy Robert Flores. We shot it in late February. I got the call from my agent. Yeah, Roflo is the best. So it's me and Roflo together. Take a guess what it is. The movie's coming out this month. I, I just got word. I go, you can mention it now. Before the like, gag order, I signed an NDNA, like non-disclosure agreement. Please tell me it's Basketball Two. <laughs> I wish it was just for Trey Parker, Matt Stone, me and Costas. You're excited to feel these nipples. No, it is indeed, as I tease, we're trying to get the director, George Tillman, who directed me, Big George Foreman. They said, we need a boxing guy. Me and Roflo. Roflo did Friday Night Fights at ESPN. I worked for DAZN, and they got us to call a fight together. And it's not just any fight. We got to call Rumble in the Jungle. I, I was blown away. I, when my, my agent told me, he goes, hey, I got a role for you. Friday in Montclair. You're going to be in a voiceover booth. I'm like, okay. Unfortunately, not on camera, like my man Todd Grisham and Chris Mannix. Those guys were all over Creed Three. And the reason I think it's okay to tell it now, Mannix texted me last night. And he said, hey, is this your voice I'm hearing in the George Foreman movie? So like, nah. was like he, he could recognize it right away. I'm like, you could tell. He's like, dude, I knew it was you. As soon as I heard your voice, I'm like, that's how I did. Yes. So the, the fact it's Rumble in the Jungle. Now, I, I, I've already seen the screen, or they sent to me last week, because I said, we've got to get George on, who was great. It was so much fun. To, he directed us via Zoom, but he was so good. Like, when he, he, like Robert and I, we, we had the lines there, and he goes, listen, you guys are boxing guys. I know you guys do this for a living, so I want you to, to do the script, but then after that, I want you to ad-lib and have fun. And one of, the, one of the lines specifically, he goes, I don't like the way this line is written, okay? He goes, it says, <laughs> Ali's legs are rubbery. And Foreman's legs are strong. He goes, so just read it, read it like that. But then afterwards, what would you say? And I said, um, I'd say like, Ali looks, uh, Foreman looks gassed. And Ali looks, looks better than ever. He's like, great, go with that. So he's directing us via Zoom. And so Robert and I do the whole thing. And at the end, he's like, all right, now no script. You guys just have a monitor, just call the fight. As if you'd call a fight. So Roflo goes, all right, you do blow by blow, I'll do color. I'm like, all right. And I, the whole time I said to Robert, I go, can we try to squeeze our names in? Like, just like, I oh, did, I'm not sure about this. And Robert, I can, he, goes, yeah. he goes, we can try, but they're, they're going to cut it anyway. So I was like, yeah, they're not, they're not going to let us say our names. So suffice <laughs> to say, the rough cut I saw, our names are not said. But we 
Got like a half a dozen lines in there. And like, dude. of all the fights to call, Chris, like if somebody said to you, what fight do you want? I'm like, well, Rumble in the Jungle. Like, that's a massive fight in George Foreman's life. And of course, it's do, you have, do you have your SAG card now? <laughs> I wish. Now, no, no SAG card yet. I'm wondering how, like, did you bring it too strong at the beginning? Because, like, sometimes with acting, like, yeah. I, I, I like a terrible example of, like, my dad, we've had my dad do bits for Lebetard's show. Mm -hmm. And the first one, he comes in way too hot. Where it's like, I'm acting right now. It's like, yeah. Dad, we need you to cut. You're out of 10. We need you at like a six. Yeah. Like, did you like get too excited? Did you need did the director need to come in and be like, all right, Adnan, well, relax. I'm nothing of someone who does not take direction well. So me and Robert just came in just as our regular selves. And then we just took his direction. And every on every first take, George would say, okay, great. Just do it again. So I'm the yeah. type. I don't alter anything. I just do it exactly the same unless he says to me to change something. Because I always feel like, and I talked to my buddy RT about this, who's a great director. And, and Randall said to me, he goes, yeah, sometimes the first take, he goes, he's kind of just doing something else. Like, all right, do it again. Like, do it again. He goes, by the third or fourth thing, he's kind of like, okay, now try this, now do this here. Like, so he goes, I think that's the right approach to not do it differently. But when he said, hey, you know what? You're a little bit more exasperated. Like, Ali's still on the ropes. I'm like, okay, action. Ali's still on the ropes. Like, again, yeah, I, will, yeah, yeah. I will mimic whatever they give me. But if I'm just calling it straight, yeah. But to your point about going nuts, no. Most of us were, like, Robert and I were just calling the fight. Only once he said, okay, now you guys go, we started to go bananas. We're like, down goes Frazier. Like, we just started to go nuts. By the way, yeah. there was a guy in the movie playing Howard Cosell who does get to do down goes Frazier. But at one point, I even lost my voice. And Robert, like, keep going. Like, we'll, we'll make it work. He's like, yeah. So, anyways. So, is George this, like, not to, not to get into your personals, but I'm just kind of curious. Yeah. Is this something that since a lot of people would want to do it, they're not exactly giving you a great number or this is like a good day's work? Mm, a little bit of both. It's more of the former. Like, it, like they could yeah. get anybody if I had said no, but for an hour and a half of work, pretty good. Oh, okay. Only an hour and a half. Okay. That, so, yeah. That's my view of it. Like it's not, I'm not making like $5,000 here. Right. But for somebody to tell me, hey, for an hour and a half of work, this is the number. I'm like, oh, that's fantastic. And this cool ass thing that Correct. you get to do. Correct. Most importantly, right. I get to be in a movie, so it's great. I will tell you the like, number off here. I don't want to tell 40,000 like people, you but I will tell Chris would, the number off here. You probably would have done this just if they were like, if hey, they I got said a cool for $250, <laughs> will you do it? And gas money, I'm like, I'll do it. Yeah. And it was a little bit more than that. I said, sure, I get to be in a movie. The big thing, though, and I told Roflo, I said, like, I watched the film. I go, I, I don't know if we're in the credits because the screener they sent me, it just says, now insert end credits. Like, there's mm. still some stuff that needs to be done. So the key is, are we in, in the credits? Like, my friend Kelly Nash does a great job on MLB Network, Quick Pitch. She's in succession. Like, she's in episode three. Episode two just aired because the other day I watched the episode and end credits said Kelly Nash. I'm like, oh my God, like, you get to be in the credits. That might be even more mm. than anything. Forget about the voice. If you just say, hey, yeah. we're in the credits of a film, that's yeah. really all we care about. So, we're in the movie. Big George Foreman comes out April 28th. Uh, I told our talent bookers, I said, we got to get George Tillman on. Just tell him, hey, I'm in the movie. George, can we have you on the podcast? So, hopefully, we'll get Big George here to talk about Big George Foreman. Also, for all those who enjoyed my evisceration of David Sampson, uh, we may be having him on the podcast at some point. Listen, it was opening day. I mean, I had stuff to do. He's been chirping me for a while, and that top five, let's be honest, was underwhelming. So, I had to give it to him. <laughs> Props to executive producer Chris Cody. Uh, maybe we'll get Sampson on Cinefile. file. And before we get to our guests, I do want to say... Unfortunately for Cody, the FAU unable to come through. But still, Final Four, hell of a run. You went to Houston. Amazing you have to be there with your dad. Awesome. Brutal finish, but yes. over it didn't it did not tarnish the overall weekend. Great experience. Um, the Final Four, like it's something I never even really had thought of before is like an event I need to hit at some point, but it's worth it. It's great. It's like convergence of four teams in one arena. Everyone's got the same energy. But great weekend. Obviously, brutal finish. Miami had a big fart, and uh, but overall, it didn't. It was still a great trip. Definitely worth it. But yeah, that that FAU game, man. They they dominate rebounding the entire game, 
and then they can't get a rebound the final five minutes of the game. It was very frustrating. How about Stugatz, his weekend observations? He criticized the San Diego State head coach for not taking a timeout. Lubbock turns it, but they won the game. He said, yeah, but he still should have called a timeout. After they got that rebound, he should have called a timeout, setting up the play. It was a miracle that they won. But He's always zagging with other zig. Yeah, un- unbelievable win. But um, Astros game was good as well. Right? You and oh, Greg. dude, Adnan. I mean, I shouted you out on my dad's podcast. My man Adnan came through with the clutch seats. That ballpark. I really like that ballpark, too. I love Minute Maid Park. I actually I went Sunday, park. too. I'm with you. Yeah. I went Friday and Sunday. Dude, that's awesome. Because you said, any hookup on tickets? So I asked our VP. And he was like, yep. He goes, generally, it's supposed to be for you. So what we'll do is we'll ask for you. And then at the last second, give me your buddy's name. I'm like, all right, Chris Cody will send it to the email. And then I asked him after, I go, how often can I get free tickets? I don't ask unless somebody asks me. He's like, well, like, like once or twice a year, it's not a big deal. I'm like, yeah, to me, I'm like, Cody's there. It was the second day of the year. It wasn't like it was opening day. It wasn't like it was playoff tickets. I'm like, you and your dad. I'm like, yeah, two tickets. I'm happy to help. Well, what a good, cr- man. Like, it, it makes me sad for, like, the Marlins fan experience. Like, man, just like a bar filled with Astros fan before the game. You walk over. It's just like Astros jerseys everywhere. Like. Oh. Marlins, we don't have like a place before the game you go and there's a bunch of Marlins fans. Yeah. Like, it's just, we just don't have that. And it made me sad, honestly. <laughs> That's why, like, if I'm ever in Miami again, like, Moss is obviously in the offseason, but if it was during the season, I wouldn't even think to ask you guys for tickets. I'm like, no, I think I can probably get a cheap ticket myself. I'll just, uh, yeah. Like, you can I, buy, like, I, I already the cheapest ticket. I'll just go on stuff. I'm going to pay 40 bucks. I can probably sit, like, third row. It'll be great. And then sit anywhere. Right. <laughs> exactly. All right. Let's get to the comedy. Jeremy Pivot was really, really funny. He's got a new movie called Sweetwater. It's in theaters. Unfortunately, Chris wasn't able to join because he had car trouble, but he fed me a few questions, which I asked those questions to Jeremy, and he really enjoyed them and gave good answers to them. Here is Jeremy Piven. Emmy Award winner Jeremy Piven, who's got a terrific film. It's called Sweetwater, opening in theaters April 14th. It is about the first ever black player drafted by the NBA. Came from the Harlem Globetrotter, Sweetwater Clifton. Really enjoyed the movie, Jeremy. Great to see you, man. How are you doing this morning? I'm doing great, man. I'm glad that you got a chance to see the movie. It's always critical. Like, I, I don't want to do this unless I've seen it. And a few things struck me. One of which specifically to you, you're playing a Knicks coach, and I believe you are a Knicks fan. One of the things that you know it's from that era is that you're running the practice in full suit. And I started laughing. Yeah. I go, yeah, that's from that era. Joe Lapchick, I believe, is your character's name. And yeah. the coach really is the one in charge. And you watch the NBA today, and you can see different players running plays. But at that time, you're the guy. Like, you're a dictatorial presence, at least in their minds, although your character is not. So I want to start there. You're playing a coach who's the guy in charge, Kerry Elvis, obviously with you as well. And yet you have this benevolence about you. You are very welcoming towards Sweetwater. Um, where did that stem from? Where did you kind of approach the character that way? When I first read the script, I, I was blown away because I am a huge sports fan. You know, I was born in New York, went to NYU, but I grew up in Chicago. So I spent, you know, all those years in Chicago watching the Bulls and the Bears and the Blackhawks. And, you know, I have a, I have a real connection to my Chicago teams. That being said, I'm going to the Knicks game. So, you know, <laughs> good thing we're not documenting this. Oh, wait. Um, I'm reading I'm reading the script and I'm blown away by the by the whole story. And it's a brilliant script. Yeah. Um, Martin Gigi, who wrote and directed it, is so passionate. He has been trying to get this made for 28 years. Wow. Um, he was instrumental in getting Sweetwater Clifton inducted into the Hall of Fame. Um, Wow, I, I, wouldn't that be amazing if, if for, for no reason the, the smoke alarm went off? That's very surreal. <laughs> or, I think it's the acting police. They're getting ready to take it's, me away. No, you're so good at improv. This is just testing your skills. Just pile through. Yeah. Bro, I listen, I've been, I've been doing stand-up, and I'm ready to go. I've been dealing with hecklers for seven <laughs> years now. Um, I'm, I'm reading the script, and Coach Joe Lapchick, 
who I, I was offered the role was, you know, the guy that helped break the color barrier and climbed this wall with Nat Sweetwater Clifton and signed the first black player in the NBA. No one knows this. And, you know, I grew up in Evanston, just outside of Chicago. I was one of the only white boys on my football team. And so I was really lucky enough to grow up in this integrated community, which we need more of because it shaped my whole life. Um, And I have a real great perspective on life and that we're all in this together. And I had to be taught what racism was Mm. because there's nothing natural about it. It's an unnatural act. It's, you know... um, Hate isn't isn't natural. Anyway, that's that's for another time, Mike. Um, this has turned into the worst uh, TED talk ever, and I apologize. <laughs> no way. <laughs> I like no, a good but, little bit of sermonizing with my exactly. I I celebrate you with the power of Christ, even though I'm Jewish. Anyway, <laughs> so is Joe Lapchick, and you know the idea to be selfish for a moment. The idea that I get to play a character that has a huge heart that is so passionate about change and was instrumental in bringing Sweetwater into the NBA. I, I couldn't believe it. And I, I'm just so grateful to play this guy. People are always like, how much are you like Ari Gold? You know, in other words, how much of an asshole are you really? That's the, sorry to swear. I apologize. No, no, but you knew it was I'll coming. Go. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and the reality is, uh, I had a friend come and see it last night who lives in the UK and he doesn't even didn't even grow up watching the NBA and he was really blown away by this film and said this is the closest to me of anything he's ever seen me do. And I was very, very connected and grateful to do this film and I'm insanely proud of it. Yeah, to your point about not being a guy with prejudice and it's all about teaching and teaching moments. One of the best parts of Sweetwater, I kept thinking, you know, I've got young kids myself. I said, this is the kind of movie that they can watch. Like not every movie about race has to have four letter words and be intense and visceral. Those films are obviously important, but this is like a family film. Like I could take my kids to see it. They like basketball. That great scene you have with your son when he uses a racial epithet and you tell him this is why we don't use that word. Like I think it's a film that's really encompassing for all peoples and, um, as you said, I, I think it's something that's very accepting and, and needed at this point in time. Yeah, right now we need we need some escapism right now, um, and that's what this is. But it's also a history lesson about where we came from. Right. And and you know most people have no idea that this guy you know changed the face of basketball and where where we come from, and that it was an all white league in 1950. You know, so it's it's a it's a fascinating story. Everett Osborne is a star who yeah. who plays the lead. You know, it's his first film. Crazy. The guy, the guy came in. I mean, this, this will this will be one of those legends yeah. that people talk about because the guy came in, you know, had never carried a film. Is a pro level basketball player, literally, and and did every single shot himself. I don't remember him missing. And we would shoot these basketball sequences. They put the camera on a dolly, and I'm just in character. I roll up my program and I'm just screaming like a lunatic. Yeah. You know, as usual. <laughs> and <laughs> I'm just going back and forth. And we we could have shot, and I'm not just saying this, we could have shot the whole movie in in one take because this guy, you know, it's like, okay, Everett, we need a 360 dunk here. Need you to pop in the three pointer. We need you to get and then he's just like done, done, done. Okay, can you do a hook shot at the top of the key and sink it? Because that has to literally, I mean, you saw that in the film, like he's hitting everything. I mean, yeah. not only is it miraculous, but it's like the film gods were shining on us because the reality is you've got, we have a lot of stuff to do. This movie looks like an enormous film. Yeah. It's an indie film. 
our entire budget was literally the budget for the rocks burrito that's how much the rock spends on his burrito all vegan natural non-gmo hgh burrito situation right that's how much our entire budget would go towards I do want to get your stand-up because you mentioned The Rock recently in a bit, which is posted on Instagram, which is hysterical. But more on the film. We're talking with Jeremy Piven. The movie's called Sweetwater. It's in theaters April 14th. I love the one scene as Lapchick when you're telling Everett, to your point, I didn't realize how, how good his basketball prowess is. They're like, hey, knock off the hot dog because the refs are against him, right? There, any any reason to be against this guy, the refs are going to do that. But you mentioned the cast. I mean, you got Kerry Elvis, who you share a lot of scenes with. He's obviously your cohort there on the Knicks. Richard Dreyfus playing the NBA commissioner, Academy Award winner. I was like, hey, Richard Dreyfus is back. I mean, this is a hell of a cast for an indie movie you know oddly enough it's the appropriate cast it's just i remember looking at this going because you you know who i'm, I'm going to speak totally out of turn but i don't care hollywood's a, a very funny place and it, and it can be very fickle in terms of you know who's white hot at that moment who's on these short lists and so they go to these people and the reality is the people in this film if you look at it and i'm not just saying this it's like wow I, I this is the exact right person for this role. Yeah. Like, can you think of someone else? Dreyfus, like, like he, he nailed that he role. Feels like he's I mean, from the 1950s, right? Like he's just he just it, transported it, from that era. Yeah, it looked like a documentary. You know, I was like, <laughs> of course, Richard Dreyfus is the commissioner of the NBA. You know what I mean? It's like he was so good. It would be like they say, don't act with you know, like an animal. Uh, you know, if if it wanders on stage, allow it act you. He yeah. will outact you just by listening. <laughs> <laughs> I believe that's a compliment to Richard Dreyfus, but I never thought of it in those terms. You're right. You're yeah, right. Richard Dreyfus, he's a pot-bellied pig. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> he has the charisma of a pot-bellied pig. That's what I'm saying. Um, did you worry about, like, kind of sharpening your skills? Again, you're the coach. You don't have to play it. But at some point, you're like, hey, I'm in a basketball movie. In case someone's like, hey, Piven, let's see your shot. Did, did you, did you, were you in the gym a little more than usual, or just you were just playing the role? Oh. C completely. And once again, I'm going to tell you too much information. Um, <laughs> I uh, had just previously broke eight ribs in I was filming in Slovakia. I was filming my dream project called The Performance. Okay. And um, I can't tell you too much about that, but we'll circle back when it's time. I can't wait to talk to you about it. But yeah. that's something I've been putting together for 12 years myself. Um, and so I, I've been you know, doing physical therapy PT every day. And so it's great because when you do, when you come back from an injury, you, you're really training and working hard and you kind of get addicted to training and, and doing the right thing with your body. So I knew I had to do this one-on-one -on -one scene with Everett, mm -hmm. you know, um, and he is, he's a pro player. He was playing overseas, mm -hmm. you know, um, and he's incredible. And just to be able to kind of post up against him, I, yes, I had to get in the gym to answer your question and right. just i had to work my ass off just to be viciously mediocre just to rise to that level because what if the director had said you know what jeremy we're going to switch things up you're actually a player you know what? we're going to have you be one of these white guys kind of out of shape feeding the rock to sweetwater you good you're like okay sure no problem i wouldn't go that far no uh, not at all um but i am very delusional which is very important for actors yeah so no way you stay in great shape um sweetwater is a film once again april 14th i encourage everyone to check it out you know jackie robinson day is coming up april 15th i'm a huge baseball fan and to your point you would oh, all know jackie robinson but you wouldn't know sweetwater clifton being the first black player drafted by the nba so to your point again strictly as a history lesson you're learning so much information about this guy it's great yeah it, it really is we, we need we need he needs 
as the kids say, he 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 deserves his flowers. Yes, he, he absolutely does. And and you know his his family showed up on set. His grandson is in the film in that first scene. Plays his father, the really big guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know that's his. I mean, it's just like it's it's the whole thing is 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 really emotional. That's awesome. We're going to talk about some other stuff in Jeremy's career. We'll get to Entourage in a second, which is a role for which, as you know, you'll always be known for a three-time Emmy Award winner, Golden Globe Award winner, but you were part of the greatest show of all time. And you know what I'm talking about. It's not Entourage. It's the Larry Sanders show. And today, (laughs) as soon as they said Jeremy Piven's available, I go, I'll watch Sweetwater, but I'm going to do 10 minutes on Larry Sanders. I want all the shielding stories. I want all this. For those who don't know, uh, Jeremy played Jerry, who was one of the writers, was so great with Wallace Langham. It, it was such a show ahead of its time. Like I tell people now, I'm like, you don't understand. I feel so privileged watching that in the 90s. I'm like, you don't, this is like the best kept secret going. Like nobody had HBO at that time. Within Hollywood, everyone knew how funny it was. And now you look back and you go, Jeremy, this was a brilliant show on every level. Every single aspect of it. Gary's acting, his writing, his directing, Rip Torn, you know, Jeffrey Tambor, yourself. I mean, it, it's the perfect show. I agree with you. Um, and and I can take no credit because obviously that's <laughs> it's Gary Shandling's baby. And he he was a genius, a flat out genius. And it was like, you know, I was a kid. It was my my first show out of college. And I'm playing the head writer on a show. And the way I played him was, wouldn't it be funny to play the head writer who truly wasn't funny? <laughs> and he, the head comedy writer, and he just lived in fear of being exposed. Jeffrey Tambor was brilliant. My only job was to not break and lose it in every scene because he was that funny. That's that was my only point of concentration. It's just hold it together. Don't ruin the take. That's all I had to do. Well, I remember reading, and then I read Judd's book about Gary, and obviously the documentary, The Zen Diaries of Gary Schelling, which was so brilliant. And I didn't realize, I then read uh, Jim Miller's book, James Andrew Miller's book, Tinderbox, about HBO. And he's got an unbelievable quote there from Peter Tolan. Now, I've always known his name because him and Gary wrote a lot of the shows together, uh, co-executive producer. He said that Rip Torn was very difficult to deal with. And I was stunned. I was like, I don't want to know this. Like, I I had such a pure image of the show. I know it's a difficult show. I'm sure you guys had battles. But he said Rip was kind of tough to deal with. I said, oh, don't tell me that stuff. You know, Rip is... I would say he's the last of a dying breed, but unfortunately, Rip has passed on. Right. You know, he was he he really was. I, I I was privileged to get a glimpse of that. I mean, he was so authentically himself. It was insane. He just was this guy who come in and just you know he would rip his toupee off, and he's like, "I got some windshield in my toupee," and he would just start. I was like, "I'm sorry, sir, you have some windshield," and he he had he had gotten in a car accident. And he was shaking out his toupee, threw it back on. And like, I mean, that's a whole other breed. These, these are the types of men who just, you know, they're, they're, he can have an adult beverage and play through, not sleep, whatever. He's a, he's a different breed. And he was brilliant in, in the show, obviously. The episode where Jerry, I, mean, I think, I don't want to say you were a sex addict, but you were, you were letting your relationship with a woman overcome your work on the show. I thought, again, yeah. it was really funny and well done. And, and the scene where you got, like, that's where you got fired. I'm like, it was so well done because it was really funny, but also like dramatic and sad. Like your characters are generally pissed. I'm like, it was, I, I remember encompassing all these different emotions and I most of all being upset. You're no longer on the show. That That's amazing. Thank you. Yeah. God, you're bringing back all these memories. It was just so well-written, brilliant premise. You know, the backstage life of a talk show, every aspect of it was was absolutely brilliant. I mean, um, yeah, I I ended up getting fired because, (laughs) listen, it was like I was playing on the Chicago Bulls in the 90s. You know what I mean? 
And I was kind of riding the bench, to be honest with you. And I was, you know, would come in as this kind of role player. And I loved it. But I got this offer to be the lead in the movie called PCU. Right. And I went to them and I said, guys, what do you think? And Gary was great. You got to do it. Oh, my God. You got to do it. It was just so, so kind, you know, and they wrote me off the show. And ironically, when they wrote me off the show, I that's when I had my best episode. Because yeah. my character just kind of loses it. And I love that you came back for the finale, which is the greatest finale ever. That scene where you're backstage and Shandling seeing like the ghosts of Christmas past. And you're standing there like, hey, just want to know if you'd shake my hand after you fired me. And he's like, well, now you yeah. know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, my God, that he was such a, a genius. To your point about Rip Torn, he's got that one scene where he's talking to a female executive and he goes, I, I killed a man like you in Nam. It's <laughs> ever from the yeah. show. Um, my buddy Chris is our producer of the show. He he uh, he's watching your stand up. So he says, you know, I I saw the bit about being frustrating watching Dwayne Johnson. I saw the clip as well. He's zero acting training for The Rock. How much fun has it been for you to go back and do stand up? Because it looks like you're having a blast. This stuff's been hilarious. It's one of those things where my background is I've been on stage my whole life, and I was you know used to tour with Second City back in the day with Chris Farley in Chicago. So I come. My background is is drama, but also it's sketch comedy and improv and all that stuff. Right. So when, you know, when you say, oh, it's an actor doing stand-up, it's like, well, you know, all of our journeys are different and and mine kind of feels like it lent itself to being able to navigate that space. That being said, I'll never forget the first time I got up at the Laugh Factory and it was terrifying for many different reasons. One of the things that's fascinating is I'm, I'm used to being on stage and you can roam and, and have some room. And this, you know, sometimes you're just hemmed in. And I was literally pinned up against the wall. I was so scared. Um, and yet the stage is my home. So I, I have just a real healthy respect yeah. for stand up. Yeah. Chris said to me, Piven caused a spat between my friend and his wife at his comedy show because of how charming he was with my friends in the meet and greet. How often does your charm start arguments between couples? Well, you know, oddly enough, a lot of couples come to my show. It's it's I, and I'm I'm trying to figure out why. I think what it is is guys want to come to my show, right? And so that's their excuse, you know, for a date night. You know, that's they. You know, so it's the guy that that wants to show up, and they kind of drag their significant other uh, to the show. And listen, man, it, it, the, I I don't. I, I want to be present for people that show up. So, because I can't tell you how many times people look at me and they go, you were a lot funnier on stage. And I'm like, yeah, that's, that's the point. <laughs> so, so then I try overcompensating and like try to entertain them in a meet and greet. And it's like, well, I'm exhausted. I just, I just did an hour set for you. Can I just listen to you for a minute? Right. I don't right. that, that would make sense. I just emptied the yeah. tank. Random character that people bring up to you. How about uh, Chris says to me, the gay Versace salesman in Rush Hour 2? By the way, they're doing a new Rush Hour. They are. And I, I think we should bring him back. <laughs> okay, let's let's put a dead animal on you. Buttercream, buttercream, crack skin, buttercream. What's below the waist? Mystery meat. Let's go in. Hey, sweetness. Ooh, little Kim's got some fire. Um yeah, uh, Chris Tucker and I, after we shot that, we went out, the two of us went to see Cirque du Soleil. And I said, it's a Chris, and he just kept going, God damn, I'm blessed. 
I'm blessed. I was like, oh, we're, we're in a theater. He just kept screaming, I'm blessed. I was like, Shh. you go back, as you said, you, there's so many different aspects to your career. Um, Neil Brennan and the goods. Like my friend Cabby mentioned that to me. He's like, oh my God. He goes, dude, that is one of the funniest movies ever. You couldn't make it today. The cast is incredible. Keckner, Tony Hale. I mean, the goods is like an incredible movie. I hope it was a good experience for you. Uh, it was incredible. I, I really love that movie. You look at that film and, and the amount of genuinely funny people in it. It's incredible. Neil Brennan obviously directed it. And um, I'm just really proud of that film. It's it's one of those things where, you know, Adam McKay produced it as well. And he, you know, is insanely funny and prolific. And and he's just like, look, you know, it's it, it's just luck of the draw when the film comes out and all that kind of stuff. I It really... It, you know, had it had a different push or whatever, you know, it could have uh, we could have been a contender. Listen to me like a little bitter. <laughs> I love that film. It's funny as hell. <laughs> I'll go watch the goods. And you know why Jeremy's not a bitter. <laughs> right. That movie's really funny. Um, the stage work. I, I'd always said, I'm like, man, I bet you as I'm a huge David Mamet fan. I go pivot to be great in Mamet. And then, of course, Speed the Plow came about whatever it was, 2008, 2009. You were going to do it. And then you had, I believe, elevated levels of mercury couldn't do it. And I'm like, that that must happen in life. Like, you want to do a project, just doesn't work out. I still think you'd be incredible doing Mammoth's work. I don't know if you guys patch things up or anything ever happened, but I'm like, I would love to still see you and speed the plow. Well, thank you. I, I, I did the play. We we were like four months into a six-month run. And, you know, we don't need to, to go over it again. But it was a very surreal experience where, like, in rehearsals, I would I would just fall asleep, and I was like, "Do I have narcolepsy? What is going on?" And I, I got my levels tested, and they said, "Oh, these are the wrong levels." We, and they kept retesting it. Then they were like, "We've never seen these levels before." And anyway, I was eating nothing but fish for twenty years. I was a pescatarian, wow. so I'd, I would have fish twice a day for twenty years. And my particular constitution, I couldn't assimilate mercury, so I had to get it like intravenously chelated. So I, I ended up having to leave the show but yeah mamet is like one of my heroes yeah. you know he's a genius uh so someone's at the door sorry that's okay we're, we're, yeah come on in buddy uh that's okay we'll wrap in a minute um <laughs> <laughs> it just, this is what happens man you know we're living in a new time but you know if you and i were actually doing something professional oh we are sorry <laughs> that's okay mamet's a genius we're all good at him we got about five I, I, listen i love yeah. david mamet I, I i growing up my 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 it's father right yeah my father worked with him and 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 he's he's one of these geniuses i i ran into sam rockwell on the street recently and he had just Buffalo. you know yeah had just done some mammoths and i would love to get up there and do it again um but you know it's one of those things where health is is a huge variable and i went down hard and um i had to change everything up and 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 i'm all good now i want another run another yeah. run at it I want to see it, man. You're right. Rockwell was great in American Buffalo. I saw him in Lawrence Fishburne last year. It was amazing. As you know, it's a great yeah. play. Entourage. I got to talk a little entourage. Do you, do you want to punch people in the face when they come up to you and say, let's hug it out? Like, I know you're appreciative that people watch it, but at this point, has the catchphrase become so frustrating to you that you just can't take it anymore? You know, at first it was, uh, I'll be honest with you, because the character and the character's ideology was so different than mine. I'm a stage actor from Chicago. Ari Gold is Ari Emanuel. Who is a, a brilliant businessman mm -hmm. um and you know so when you're at the urinal and someone's screaming let's hug it out bitch and they're <laughs> smacking you in the back and they want to let you know that they're the real ari gold and they're a douchebag because of you it's adorable 
but I just want to pee. You know, can I just shake it off and then can we continue? Right. You know, so it, there have been some frustrating moments for sure. But the reality is, look, I was lucky enough to play a character that uh, and played authentically. Yes. And so people connected with it. And, and I'm on the road and I see in real time that they miss it. And they're yelling out lines and and people miss the show and the character. And and I'm grateful. I'm grateful for that. I want to talk a little sports as well. As you said, Chicago sports fan. I saw you recently post a picture. You and DeMar DeRozan got to go see the Bulls a little bit. Uh, you're a big Bears guy. How excited are you about Justin Fields? I'm guessing uh, the Bears hopefully turn things around. Big offseason so far. Uh, yeah, Justin Fields is, is brilliant. Obviously, I don't know if we've seen that type of athleticism to be honest with you i know i'm a bears fan so i'm biased but when a guy's breaking all of the rushing records yeah. you know and he's been in the league for 11 minutes you know you've got to give him some love you know we didn't really have a a, a great team around him right. i shouldn't say that i shouldn't say that sorry that's accurate that's accurate you're right it wasn't a great mm -hmm. team around him. What, what i meant was uh you know the listen they had a, a great offseason we got some amazing wide receivers you know, we're, we feel a little, it's going to be interesting to see how he plays now. I think we've made some, we've yeah. made some great moves. Blackhawks as well. I mean, that's how you the mix, right? They had that great run. Listen, I'm the time. exact size as Patrick Kane, you know, <laughs> the only difference is he's an elite athlete and I'm not. <laughs> He'll have more points than Stan McKenna, but other than that, we're basically the exact yeah, same. Yeah, we're identical. It's like, you know, Z Zelensky, the president of the Ukraine, he and I are both short. I'm from the Ukraine. I mean, my parents are from Kiev. My grandparents are from Kiev. Yeah, yeah. So we are identical. We're both men of incredible um, bravery. Um, we uh, He's fighting a tyrant. I'm fighting hair loss and wrinkles. We're identical. <laughs> Good night, everyone. Thank you for coming. I don't think we can top that, but just one more I'll squeeze in. Um, okay. I, I know Bulls, obviously. I wasn't sure about baseball. Cubs or White Sox? Well, I'm a Northsider, so the Cubs, obviously. Um, but, I mean, look, you know, I know I'm supposed to pick a team, but they're both brilliant. Yeah. Um, and the White Sox, look how much talent those guys have. It's crazy. And the Cubs, obviously, did did some great moves in the offseason. Yeah. Um, I'm lucky. I've, I've been throwing out the first pitch with the Cubs. I, I'll, I'll tell you a funny story, man. Mm -hmm. um, they said to me, when I was doing entourage, they were like, hey, when you get up in the booth, can you say your signature tagline? And I was like, are you sure? And they said, yeah. I said, oh, okay. And it was Father's Day. And so, you know, I was singing the um, the seventh inning stretch and I, on Father's Day. I said, hey, Cubs fans, let's hug it out, bitch, <laughs> on, on, on live television. They were like, wait, what? <laughs> and I promise the last thing, because my wife will kill me if I don't ask you about heat. You're in heat. You're in one of the best moves the last 30 years. Robert De Niro chastises you and tells you to take off your shirt. That was incredible, man. I mean, I'll never I'll never forget like the audition process for Michael Mann. And you're just sitting there, you know, just for a couple hours, just waiting, you know, to audition. And yeah, I got to work with De Niro. It was it was insanity. It would it felt like probably like, you know, what what a journeyman player in the NBA felt like, you know, just like guarding Michael Jordan. You know what I mean? That's basically what it felt like. I was just <laughs> so overwhelmed. But, you know, the only way that I have a career, to be honest with you, is I just, I had 40 of those before Entourage. So I, I would have one line in a movie, and if they didn't yell cut, I would just, you know, keep improvising, and I would have stuff planned or whatever. And so in that particular scene, it was supposed to just end, you know, he's give, give me the shirt. 
And um, then I, they don't yell cut. I go, well, my, 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 you know, it's my, my son. I, my wife gave me the shirt. I'm just like, you know, trying to say anything to not give him the shirt. Fuck you. You were the fuck you. And and it, just having Robert De Niro say fuck you over and over again was the greatest moment of my life. It was the greatest moments of my life. Jeremy Piven was unbelievable. The film is called Sweetwater. It's in theaters April 14th. Go see it. Like I said, it's a great family film. It's a great basketball film. It's about civil rights and it's got excellent performances. You, Everett Osborne, Carrie Elwes, Richard Dreyfus. Jeremy, this was awesome. And we'll have you back when the performance comes out. I can't wait. 12 years in the making, your dream project. Thank you, man. Count me in. I just want you to know the level of difficulty for this interview i've had this very kind um, room service gentleman staring at me the entire interview i, I have to go sign and he's adorable right. and i so you know it's, you have the smoke it's alarm a- somebody opened the door and in the last five minutes you've been like as you're talking darting to the side so i'm like somebody's clearly trying to get your attention and you're still yeah, answering the question because if i don't sign that they'll never know where i am <laughs> wait a minute i'm here <laughs> Anyway, man, thank you for your patience. (laughs) Thank you, Jeremy. You're awesome, man. (laughs) Thank you so much. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. All right, great stuff there from Jeremy Piven. You've seen his stand-up. You can you can testify the fact he's very funny in person. So I do now want to see Jeremy Piven in stand-up chatting up the ladies and the boys afterwards as well. Check out Sweetwater in theaters. A that was fun. actually he he played that off really well. Like obviously he was just like, oh yeah, I'm very charming. But that was like a thing. Like he, I, it was nothing. He wasn't like hitting on my friend's wife, but he just you know had this smooth like you, you could hear him he's just like jeremy piven he's just kind of like witty and like all of a sudden all, i didn't see the interaction i wasn't there all i know is couple fighting afterwards like we went to a bar afterwards and like they were like not happy with each other because of something she said that was like a little flirty or something i don't know but it was just like i was like this classic jeremy piven i bet this happens to him in every city he goes to <laughs> It just turns on the charm. It leads to disagreements. <laughs> Speaking of charm, analyze this. 24th anniversary of this very funny movie. It came out in 1999. One of the great chicken and egg arguments. Did this come first or The Sopranos? Who had the idea first for, let's have a mobster go see a shrink? Because you can't imagine The Sopranos without James Gandolfini going to see Lorraine Bracco. That's the first scene of The Sopranos. And it's what made the show unique beyond just a mob show. But of course, analyze this is all about that. Billy Crystal plays a shrink and Robert De Niro goes there to see him. Paul Vitti's having stress, anxiety. 
and the shrink has to help him through it. It's just amazing. They both came out in 1999. Peter Tolan co-wrote the script here, who I love because, of course, he worked in the Larry Sanders show. And it really gave De Niro like, the second act, uh, maybe the third act, the fourth act, whatever. It, as that blurb said off the top, it gave him a chance to show off his comedic chops, which he really hadn't been able to show up until that point. Now, the bad news is this. Once De Niro kind of kicked open the door to comedy, he ended up doing a lot of comedy and a lot of movies that weren't very funny, like, you know, 15 minutes or Showtime. Or, there's a lot of yeah. bad There's a lot of bad De Niro comedies. Rocky and Bullwinkle stinks. But the good ones, meet the parents, analyze this. Like, yeah, De Niro's hilarious in them, and he's really funny in both of them. And, and analyze this. When it came out, it was just so good to see him spoofing his persona. Release dates... Sopranos started in January of 99. Right. Analyze This was released March, March. of 99. So, yeah. Like, like the concepts could have been, you know, who knows. But think but. how crazy it is. Like two stories which were very popular, but a mobster seeing a shrink happened to come within three months of each other. I've always found that remarkable to me. But Do you think right. like Analyze This, like when they see the like like Sopranos in January and their yeah. movies coming out in March, are they like, oh, come on? <laughs> Absolutely. They're like, they, 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 cut, they beat us to the punch on this. What are we doing? It's like the great writer Truman Capote. Philip Seymour Hoffman played him in the movie, won the Academy for Best Actor. There was another Capote movie which came out which nobody cared about. I think it came out a year after and it's like, oh, no, Philip Seymour Hoffman? No, no, it's a different Capote. Toby Jones plays him. I'm like, yeah, nobody cares. Dude. We already did Capote. Like, it's done now. Um, but analyze this. I mean, the first scene where De Niro goes to see Billy Crystal is hysterical. Billy Crystal dealing with another patient he just comes in know who I am he's like yeah he goes no you don't <laughs> do you know what I do <laughs> yeah no you don't and then, and then he starts kind of telling his feelings and what's going on and, and he ends up kind of making a breakthrough and De Niro's like that's it you are my shrink and Blake Crystal's like no no, no I, I've got too much other stuff too he's like no no you're my guy he's like oh, okay whatever you say sir and the way that he the way that he has that moment of realization became the catchphrase of the movie when De Niro goes you you got a gift you he's like no 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 yes you do yes you do Yes, you do. And that, that became the thing for months after. People would go, you, you got to gift you. And, and again, it's the comic timing of both these guys, Crystal and De Niro. Again, De Niro is such a powerful presence. You know, he feel like he's the lead. But Crystal does get to do a little showboating there at the end when he shows up to the mob scene at the end. And, you know, Paul Beatty is unavailable. He's incapacitated. He's sad. He's emotional. So Crystal goes in there and he's like, you know, I'm here as the doc here at the shrink. That, that scene to me is a little overdone. It's a little bit of just like, all right, let's get Blake Crystal to shine for a little bit. But for most of the movie, I think it's really funny. And it, again, it plays off the conventions of mob style and it's satirical. And I mean, the scene where they're, they're like lampooning the Godfather and, and De Niro's like, wait, I'm Fredo? Really funny. Even the one scene where he's talking about his sexual inadequacy and he says to Billy, he goes, I had trouble getting it up last night. And Billy Crystal goes, you mean sexually? And De Niro's like, no, I mean for the big game against Michigan State. Of course, sexually. <laughs> and he's like, you know, I was with my girlfriend. He's like, wait, you, you, you're married and you have a girlfriend? He's like, yeah. He's like, you don't see that as an issue? He's like, dude, my mom, my wife kisses my kids with that mouth. <laughs> Great line. He's like, I do things with her I can't do with my wife. You know what I'm saying? I'm like, yeah, I got it. But analyze this to be really funny movie. Still holds up. Harold Ramis, by the way, is the director, of course, from Ghostbusters. Made very many funny movies. So if you haven't seen it in a while, check out Analyze This. Joe Vitarelli is, is steals this movie for me. I love this guy in this. And Jelly, also, yeah. one of my favorite characters, one of my favorite actors, Chaz. Chad, no, Chaz Palminteri is amazing. Thank you for mentioning. Because the scene where he gets mad at De Niro and Billy Crystal's trying to coach him through it, saying like, you know, I'm just upset what you've done here. You know, it's, it's impacted my feelings. And eventually, De Niro loses. He's like, you know, what? I'm going to bury you. He gets so mad at him. Hangs up the phone, and Palantir goes, "You got a dictionary, and you find out what this closure is. If he's going to hit us with it, I want to know what it is." <laughs> That's so good. Just what what would delivery. be the Mount Rushmore of Chaz Palminteri's roles? Because I'm it's up putting. There. 
Night at the Roxbury in there. Okay, Night at the Roxbury, a Bronx tale. Did you grab my this. ass? <laughs> Did you grab my ass? <laughs> Not a lot of range of jazz poem material. Like, always kind of play these tough guy gangsters, but I agree with you. Underrated funny. We had him at MLB Network. I wasn't there that day. He was on MLB Now, and I, I asked the guys, how was he? They go, is he like a big baseball guy? Like, he's a big Yankee guy. So typical Yankee guy. He knew everything about the Yankees. Didn't really know anything else about baseball. And was big on, like, his workout. I was like, oh, I just finished boxing. I'm like, he's going to be old. Like, he's in his 70s now. But Chaz Palminteri is still getting it done and forever. He's looked 70 my entire life. <laughs> like, he never looked 27, but he's right. never looked 78. Like, he was like, he's no, always he looks looked... like 60. Yeah. He's looked 60 my entire life. <laughs> Once you lose your hair and stuff, uh, you get a dictionary. You find out what this closure is. <laughs> I want to find out what it is. Funny movie, man. Analyze this if you haven't seen it in a while. Lisa Kudrow also is a good cast. I mean, surprisingly good cast. Mm-hmm. Even the supporting characters are really funny as well. All right. Now we'll get to Jim Belushi. And I like the fact that Chris kept in everything here. Oh, yeah. This is my favorite. One of the most enjoyable pre-interview experiences we've ever had. He yeah. came in hot with oh. great energy. Yes. Um, so we left in some of our just hellos to him here. So yes. it takes about a minute to get into the interview because we just have a, a minute of funny Jim Belushi before the show. It's great. Hey, Jim, how you doing? I'm Adnan. This is Chris. Hey, Chris, how are you, man? Can you give me two minutes? Take your time. We got uh, plenty of no, time. No, I think he's talking uh, to well, someone there we else. Go. I got to put this on my <laughs> computer, so I screwed up here somehow. So I... No problem. Take your time, whatever you need. Adnan deals with the same stuff. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't even get my Zoom to work, Jim. We're totally fine. I know, man. I got so good at it the uh, last couple of years. I did a whole press thing, like sitting in one chair was like so great. All right, here it is. Wait a minute. Let me see if I can do it here on the computer. Yes. No problem. If you don't see dialogue, click launch me. Oh, there. Oh, yeah. There we go. Perfect. You look great. Okay. okay. You're better than this than Adnan is. <laughs> yeah, let me- okay. Hold on, Jim. No, just give us, give us a, a, a quick check, mic check, just to make sure we got you. No, no, I'm not going to do I'm not going to give you a mic check at all. I'm not going to say a damn thing. You're going to have Nailed to it. trust your own instincts that you got this right. I like it. I like it. Here How we go. That? Three, two. I mean, I don't like this reflection here. No problem. Oh, what the hell? That's fine. More than fine. All right. All right, let's do it, man. Okay, great, great. Thanks for doing this, Jim. Here we go. In three, I got my two. coffee. Good to go. Well, it's a real pleasure to bring in Jim Belushi, an actor I've long admired. His new show is called Growing Belushi, 10 Eastern, April 5th on Discovery. There's six episodes. I saw the first one. Jim, it's hilarious. It's informative. It's entertaining. And it's great to see you back on my screen. We've missed seeing you. Uh, it's so nice to be here, man. It's nice to be out again. You know, I've been so uh, isolated <laughs> with these plants, growing these plants. They need such care and love. You know, it's uh, this farming thing is... Uh, I should just stick to acting, man, is what I heard. Well, this, this is the thing. I think a lot of people were like just confused. Like when I watched it, what happened, Jim Belushi? And at least what you told us in the beginning was, hey, I've done the acting stuff. I've been to enough premieres. Like I've done the movies. I want to do something different. You got all this land. You move out. You got a cannabis farm. And that's that's where your life has taken you. You know, uh, it was entering into farm. Once you get your feet on a farm, it's 93 acres of land and sun. And, you know, you get a kind of a spiritual awakening once you put your feet and your hands in the ground along this beautiful river. And the area that I live in, Oregon, is, you know, the Native Americans were there first. You can feel them. I have a sweat lodge. And you can feel the, you can just feel this aura of 
just beauty. And it, these girls, because the, the, the cannabis that we harvest are feminine plants, so we always refer to them as the girls. That, that feminine spirit have just led me to new places as a person. That, that's why the show's called Growing Belushi. It's not just growing cannabis, but it's me growing as a person. It's, it's quite a lovely experience to document. Oh, I agree. I love the dramatic aspects of it. There's a nice little like minute montage of you and your son. You're like, hey, man, I just love this kid. You guys are swimming together, having a great time together. Like, it's such a nice, sweet moment. And, you're, and I love these vignettes you do. It's kind of like, um, I don't know how to describe it, but you got your cowboy hat on and you're talking to the camera. It's almost like a minute kind of narration. You go, man, I've, my wife's not here. My kid's gone. I got nothing but these plants. This is my life. But yours, I mean, it's a beautiful relationship you have with your son. This show does reflect real life for me. So it is a beautiful relationship. I have my son. I had him there all summer. And because the barn burnt down and we didn't know if it was organized crime. Yeah. I mean, you know, uh, this black market, this illicit market is a very dangerous thing. Now, there's a difference. There's a legacy gray market. And then there's illicit market. I mean, organized crime. You know, the legacy market are these growers that have been growing for 40 years up in the mountains, and they, like, care and love these plants. Yeah, they're illegal. They're not paying taxes, and it's against the law. But they care, and the plants that you get on the illegal market from them are beautiful and well-grown, cultivated, no poisons. But the organized crime, they don't care what they put in it. You can be smoking Paraquat for no, all, you they know. talk about the pesticides, fentanyl. Like it's scary what the organized crime can do. Yeah, and what they do is in Northern California, all over California and Oregon, is they literally come in to a farmer and offer him a lot of money to grow hemp. The farmer goes, "Wow, I'll take that cash." And they're growing on the outside hemp, and inside they're growing what is called auto flower, which means it flowers automatically, so they get two cycles. And they just harvest it, throw it in a truck, and send it across America. And these guys carry guns. Uh, they're, they're frightening people. So I was worried in the show that my barn burnt down and it was sabotaged on their part because they're, they're just tough people. So my wife was very, my ex-wife, former wife, uh, was concerned if that was what was happening. He, she didn't want her son anywhere near it. So I had to ship my son off, and it broke my heart, you know. But, you know, it's the mother of my son, and she definitely has a say. You know? <laughs> no, he's a great kid, and you can tell. It's a really loving relationship you guys have. I also love Chris, your cousin. You guys have just a hilarious relationship. It is truly love-hate. You can bust each other's chops. You can tell them how you feel. The first time you meet him, at least in the episode, he's mocking what you're wearing. Look what you're wearing. He's wearing his seatbelt. And he's, the reason why is when he goes in a plane, he goes, he does that click noise, and that way he doesn't put the seatbelt on. It's hysterical. You know, again, that's real. You get that, fella. He goes, oh, I was in the airport in Seattle. You know, I mean, he, Chris is not an actor. He has no idea what he's doing in these scenes. He's just being him. And I kind of like move it around to try to get him to do the things that keep the scene alive. He's just a natural, funny character. He's good. He's really good. And uh, as the series goes on, the relationship is just, you know, people have watched the show and it's like, well, what do you think? Oh, you and Chris are so funny. That's the first thing that's said. So that relationship is really a, a unique one and it's very real. 
Oh, 100%. And I hope we get to see more of the great Dan Aykroyd, one of your close friends. And, of course, you guys are together, Blues Brothers and the Hemp Stuff. I mean, Aykroyd is unbelievable. Danny's been a supporter of mine for, God, I met him in the 70s when John and him, they were in the New York apartment, and they just got Saturday Night Live. And they were so excited. They hadn't done it yet. And they were so excited. I was sitting in the living room, and they were going, we got the show, man. We're going to Hollywood Squares after this. The squares, man. We're going to hit the squares. Danny's going, I want to be on the squares. I want to be on the Hollywood Squares, you know. I was like, that was their golden life. <laughs> but I've known Danny since the 70s, and he's been a, he's been a brother to me. And he's a brother to me on this farm and on this show. He's terrific. No, I love him. It's so fun. You guys together are so great. I got a so brother. Great. I got a son. I got my cousin. It's really a family show. Oh, 100%. And I think that's what people are going to enjoy. And by the way, it's also informative. I never knew, maybe I'm an idiot, what 420 meant. You have like a one-minute vignette, which explained 420, the Grateful Dead. I'm like, that's pretty good stuff. You no, don't know what 420 means, Adnan? I, 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 I had a vague, I, I knew it was weed-related, but I didn't know it was about the Grateful Dead. Like, Jim actually explains it well. It was these guys would meet at 420 at the Louis Pasteur statue of Outside their school and they'd fire up and then they'd go on this like treasure hunt to find this this cannabis field that was growing to steal it and they never found it but every week at 420 on thursday they would meet and they would you know go and so the guy one of those five guys the waldos became a roadie for the grateful dead and that's he started telling his stories and they loved that 420 and so 420 became the symbol of, hey, 420. <laughs> Very funny. And it just kind of spread from there, you know. Away you go. I'd love to ask you about some of your other movies, if you don't mind. Me and Chris are both big baseball guys, so we love Mr. Destiny. Michael Caine just had his 90th birthday. I'll tell you what, if you're a baseball fan, Jim, I know you are. Cubs guy, I'm assuming. Chicago, you've seen the seventh inning stretch as the Blues Brothers. Mr. Destiny, underrated. Can I record you saying that? Absolutely. Just say that. Just say that again. Because I, I have to record you saying that. Say that. Yes. Say it again. Sure. As a lifelong baseball fan and sports commentator, I have to tell you, Mr. Destiny is perennially underrated. If you're a baseball fan, that one hits right to the heart. Way to go, Jim. Great. Thank you. <laughs> because the director and producer and writer James Orr, who created this show, Growing Belushi, with me. When we did that movie, he said, Jim, this is going to be one of those movies that plays forever. It's going to be a legend one day. So anytime anybody compliments Mr. Destiny, I videotape it. Send, <laughs> so I want to send that to him. That's already. Yeah, that was a great movie. I mean, Michael Caine, come on. I mean, he was terrific in that. Uh, but I think also that movie had John Lovitz, Courtney Cox, Hart Bachner, Michael Caine, um, Renee Russo. Yes. You know, we had really a terrific cast in that movie. Oh, my God. And Michael Caine just turned 90. You know, they always see the impressions. The key and to still working, still going up, coming from the trailer, walking to the set. <laughs> he is one of the most <laughs> prolific actors ever. Yeah. I remember the great Phil Hartman once was on Leno and he said, if you want to talk like Michael Caine, you must only say a few words at a time. And yes. that's, <laughs> like, that's the key to a Michael Caine impression. By the way, that whole thing he does, where he spins the stars, he does do it a few words at a time. Yes. And I was always trained 
to speak in the sentence until you see a punctuation. Like speak to the comma, take yeah. that beat. You know, actually, the way to first read a script out loud is you read it, and then when you hit comma, you go comma, and then read the next line, period, say it out loud, because then you'll give the natural pauses that the writer intended. But it's he so fast. He puts a comma after every three words. <laughs> <laughs> he just puts it his works. own It does work. Uh, I love uh, About Last Night. You're so funny in that movie. I remember that was based on Mammoth's play, Sexual Perversity in Chicago. And I'm curious, because I've always thought you're so gifted with your words. You're so quick-witted. You got that fast style. You'd be so great at delivering David Mamet material. I'm just curious, have you ever done Mamet's plays in Chicago on Broadway? Like, I, I'm always like, dude, you'd be great in, with Mamet stuff. Sexual Perversity in Chicago was a play written by David Mamet in 1974, performed in Chicago. It was revived in 1978-79 with me. Okay. at the Apollo Theater. It was a huge hit in Chicago. And I had a little heat at the time. And Don Simpson from Paramount came to see me in the play. And he goes, you should make a movie out of this. And I told the producers what he said. And they, Jason Brett and Stuart Oaken raised money, hired Tim Kazerinsky and Denise a clue, and they got a script. Now, remember, this play was 60 minutes. And the movie's an hour and 50 so they wrote a script. I gave it to Simpson. He loved it. And he offered it to my brother, John and Danny. <laughs> Showbiz. The end. <laughs> and John called me. He called me and said, uh, Jimmy, uh, you know, that play you're doing, yeah, yeah it's, it's a script now. I go, yeah. He goes, yeah, Simpson just offered it to me and Danny. And I went, don't do it. He goes, what do you mean? It's don't do it, man. That's my role. I developed it on stage. I'm a mammoth character, man. In real life, I speak the way mammoth writes. Yeah. That's my guy. I said, I can't eat a cheeseburger. I can't pick up a sword. You know, I can't do Marlon Brando. I can't do, you eat it all up on Saturday Night Live. I, I got just this part. Leave it alone. He goes, Jimmy, you don't understand Hollywood. They're not going to cast you. They're heat-seeking missiles, and Danny and I are hot right now. If I don't do it, they're going to give it to Bill Murray. Wouldn't you rather have someone in your family do it? <laughs> John, don't do it. It's mine. Leave it alone. And he goes, you don't understand Hollywood. Hung up. Next thing I know, he passed. He must have said something to Bill Murray because Bill Murray passed. They put that script in the turnaround. Jason went and got it. Pitched it for five years, and TriStar, Jeff Saganski, picked it up, and Edswick directed it, and then I had to audition for it. I auditioned for it, got it, and then we shot the movie, and it changed my career. It yeah. made me a movie star. So that's the story on sexual versus Chicago into about last night. That's unbelievable. Like, and I guess that like that's probably happened a bunch of times in your career, right? Like, I want this role. It goes to somebody else, or they think of somebody else, but then he passes. You get it back again. I mean, that's timing is so much of it, right? Yeah, there's a few that, you know, the, uh, I did a movie with uh, Woody Allen and there were five people he was considering and I wasn't even on that list and somehow my agent got me on that list and then all of a sudden I went to three and then I went in and auditioned and I got it. So, I mean, it, you know, it's real. Casting is 
It's a tough game. This is not an easy business. Either is farming cannabis. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Growing Belushi, once again, that's why we're back. And I also have to ask, because I just watched it again, Wag the Dog. Such a funny movie. They go to war in Albania, and they go, we got to get somebody who's Albanian, and there's you saying a plea on behalf of Albanians. I was like, I didn't even know Jim Belushi was Albanian. Yeah, yeah. W- w- Willie Nelson delivered that line. I laughed so hard. He goes, Belushi's Albanian? <laughs> and ironically, that's what happened. There was a war in, in, uh, in Bosnia and uh, Kosovo, which is, you know, four million Albanians. And I'm Albanian, 100% Albanian, and in Growing Belushi, the last episodes, we go to Albania. Wow. Yeah. It's, it, they they want to change their cannabis um, policies. They want to create a cannabis policy, and the prime minister calls them there to discuss it. <laughs> I mean, it is, it's real. Very important meeting with the prime minister of a country. <laughs> and at the last minute as we leave, he says, Jim. May I have a selfie? <laughs> yes. Hey, everybody wants a selfie when you're Jim Belushi. Uh, it's called Growing Belushi. Six episodes, April 5th, 10 o'clock Eastern on Discovery. Again, I was privileged enough to watch one episode, and it's hysterical. I encourage everyone to check it out. Even more of a privilege to talk to Jim Belushi, a terrific actor, so funny, so entertaining for so many years. Jim, congrats on this late adventure in your life. You seem happy. You seem fulfilled. Good for you, man. Way to go. Uh, man, thank you for your support. Congratulations on the success you're having, too, man. I love watching you just bloom. <laughs> bloom like a cannabis plant. <laughs> just don't get smoked. There it is. Jim Belushi. You're the man. <laughs> thank you, guys. All right, once again, stars are coming out. Michael Shannon next week. The week after that, Ray Romano. Cinephile is the place to be for big-time guests. Uh, Thank you so much for listening. And, of course, big movies coming out next week. I'm going to go see Air this weekend. Ben Affleck, Matt Damon. Affleck's been everywhere. I listened to him on Smartless. He was really good. I listened to him. I saw him on Kimmel. I think he was really funny. Cinephile? Yeah. Uh, Cinephile, I wish we could get Ben Affleck. We're not going to get Ben Affleck (laughs) on Cinephile. I wish I could tease that. But Ben Affleck's new movie will be here on Cinephile. And, by the way, thanks to previous guest Jim Miller who reviewed Air last week. He said he saw it. He said it's excellent. So really looking forward to seeing it. That'll be our review next week. And until then, I'll see you at the movies.